0: Welcome everybody to Watch Me Pod. It is the Golden Corral buffet for uh, punk, emo, and hardcore. That is to say, it's the place where you come to hear us talk about you know, parts of the punk, emo, hardcore world that we feel like are underexplored, maybe haven't been talked about to sufficient extent. Um, I'm Jim. I'm Hugo. Today we are, uh, we are talking uh, about a really important year for both of us. And what we've sort of sifted out is a really important year uh, to dive into to understand uh, where things currently are uh, in hardcore specifically. And we are doing, uh, as a hat tip to Axe to Grind, uh, year, year in hardcore 2018. Looking back at, at the year where um, we feel like during our conversations, we draw a lot of connective tissue between what is happening now and stuff that happened in 2018. Um, we're really excited to dive into some of the stuff that we feel was important and momentous that year. I uh, wanted to start off, as we sometimes do, by just talking a little bit about you know current events, <laughs> stuff that we've been uh, listening to uh, I've been really um, really really digging that plosives record if you're not familiar plosives is a super group that is basically the the instruments from Hot Snakes and then Rob Crow from Pinback on vocals it's super catchy kind of power pop uh, that's a little more quirked up um it's definitely like tangibly hot it's it sounds like hot snakes with rob Crow. um loving two houses can't fail chicago homies that just dropped um friday long awaited uh really really great follow-up to their 2016 record i feel so good i can't stand myself definitely recommend checking that out since you know it might be flying under some of your radars new on death record is great it's time to rise from the grave i still they, need to listen
1: to that i'm they, really they, excited for that
0: it's really cool they went for like they they went very deliberately for like a more boat bolt thrower style on this it for is true. way more like classic sounding than their first record which i really enjoyed because like they're still really interesting from an instrumentation perspective but the production is much more kind of retro uh, which I, I think um, I wasn't necessarily expecting, but I think it works. Um, obviously, <laughs> the uh, New Morality train has no brakes and dope shit continues to come out on New Morality Zine. I think the, um, the standout from the interim since we last spoke is A Sky So Black, um, really, really great four songs that I believe that dropped me, four or five songs that dropped from them, I had it in heavy rotation for a few days. It is very, very much, um, in keeping with a lot of stuff that's been coming out, it sounds like a, a distillate of 2002 that I didn't, that I haven't heard yet. Like a refreshing take on sort of that sound. Um, feels like the flip side to the foreign hands coin. Um, that is, it sounds like a really well executed mashup of like Deftones and Finch. Uh, for my ears, that's that's where my ears are placing it. Uh, to wrap things up, Run for Cover has been <laughs> putting out an impressive cavalcade of singles. Uh, Toledo Hometown Heroes Citizen put out an amazing single called Bash Out. Uh, a departure on departures from for citizen it sees them exploring kind of a completely new sound from anything they've done straight up sounds like the cure super into it really fun video that came out with that and lastly completely out of left field um i always try to keep you know the softer side of run for cover in rotation too and there's a there's a song uh, by the run for cover sort of indie pop act another michael that has just been stuck stuck in my rotation sounds called water pressure really good stuff uh hugo how about you
1: uh so i'm gonna obviously go on the two houses train to uh a band that means a lot for me and i did a little medium article about it. i've been very lucky just because they're all friends to have had this record in my rotation for a while. And while I think nothing is going to stand up to that first LP because I think it's pretty perfect in a lot of ways. I think it's a very, uh, I think it's a, it's a great LP and I think it kind of hits all of the boxes for anyone who could be listening here. I broadly put it under the indie punk stuff that I, that I've championed. So any, like 2010s, what we would consider punk stuff um, that would be on like Selena's records or even No Idea at the time. But Two Houses doesn't really sound like anybody because that it's just because of the players. Mike Bourne started out as a, as a bassist and Ryan Smith, the bassist, was a guitarist. So it just has this really interesting interplay between the two dave satterwhite is a um who was essentially my my sober partner the person who got me on it, the sobriety and here and the last record was before he got sober this one's now that he is sober so there's a little bit of that clarity um these are just really fun songs it's like Bar rock, college rock. I also comp like the Japan Droids, Tyus andronicus wave way, which you don't hear a lot of bands doing because it kind of sounds dated. But Two Houses to me doesn't, and it might just be because I'm in that same age range. Um, and yeah, I'd rec, I'd rec, I'd recommend this to like, especially if you like anything on the No Idea episode. Uh, re as sort of in that same world i've been revisiting the bong mountain record from last year and i really like it i don't i think i also kind of described it like it would be nestled in between a a bridge and tunnel and good luck record it's really naughty and it's it's also like it's a little bit different from their last their last record uh it's a little it's a little less like I don't know beer punk uh and yeah i i've been enjoying that snuff just dropped the two song p- promo that's really really good uh really stoked for that record i feel like they don't get the same push as like other chicago hardcore bands because they're not on a hype label they're not on flat spot they're not a new morality scene they're on a really small like boutique label i think it's called another city records based here in chicago but i really like they do a really interesting match which is like hardcore punk but with like a metallic production it's like super it's like super heavy i don't even know how to describe it but they record i think they recorded with andy nelson who does a lot of the chicago stuff here um yeah, those would be like my three. I have trouble. I've, I'm having trouble thinking of them. I've been having a little trouble listening to new music lately. So, Two Houses has been the concert rotation for me.
0: Snuffed, not snuffed very good, uh, not to be confused with Snuffed Out, which is sort of like a deathy kind of gore grind band from Toledo. Um, both very okay. good from the Midwest. I constantly. Have to make mental notes there of like which is which because I get them confused all the fucking time. Uh, But a lot, a lot of really good stuff happening in the Midwest right now. Uh, We'd love to see it. Um, Hugo, before we get into the meat and potatoes of 2018, do you have anything? Do you have anything you want to? No, I am.
1: I am ready to talk about
0: hardcore. Let's fucking go. So to set the stage, we're in this kind of wonderful renaissance moment uh in hardcore right now, where um if you have any kind of finger on the pulse of hardcore at all, you know it, you've been beaten to death with it. We're in this great position where there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff happening and a lot of good stuff happening, and the sort of tail of the curve is longer and thicker than it's ever been in a lot of ways. Which is to say that there's something good for everybody, um, no matter what your tastes are. And that is also sort of giving rise to a kind of one, one scene unity kind of vibe where, like, there aren't really any, any hard gates anymore. Like, to be in hardcore kind of means to, to be in a part of a big tent party where you can kind of really be into anything that is loosely under that. Umbrella, And um, I've I've lived through multiple eras of hardcore where that was like decidedly not the case and where things were very pigeonholed and very clicky um, and very exclusionary. And so it's wonderful, really, really wonderful to see. And I'm trying to not let the novelty of it wear off. That being said, um, it's always important, I think, to be historically minded uh, whenever you're trying to analyze (laughs) what is currently going on. And it just so happens that we can look to, since this is a pretty new moment, we can look to pretty recent history for the foundational aspects of what's going on. Um, So this episode is gonna see us sort of doing a dive on on the year and the sort of what we see as the important hardcore releases. And we're gonna kind of bucket them broadly into categories of like seeds, like stuff that was important and foundational, but maybe not the breakout release. Proper breakout releases. So um, albums that came out and were kingmakers for bands made a lasting impact on the culture, et cetera, et cetera, had commercial significance. Um, The sort of standing strong, the sort of Titans category, and these are releases um, that maybe cemented a band's legacy or put a band into a different league or were maybe in some cases a, a swan song for that band, however premeditated or unexpected that was. And then lastly, there was plenty of light le- of really, really high quality legacy material that came out from bands that have been around for, you know, the better part of a decade or a decade plus. Um, we still put out banger shit. So that being said, we're going to start off, we're going to start small and go big and start with the seeds category um, first, and I think one of the most important of these, given where things are at now, um, and what would happen for this band be the following year, is the Restraining Order self-titled EP on New Age Records. I still think that it's some of the strongest Restraining Order material. Like, obviously, their 2019 album on Triple B is, like, the shit. But there's some really strong moments on here. I think particularly the mosh part. Uh, in the first track, Upper Class Bum makes me want to like Kool-Aid Man through a fucking wall every time I hear it. Um, I do think that this release, maybe sort of in in tandem with their 2017 demo, played a pretty significant role in, in paving the way for the kind of current renaissance of hardcore punk specifically, totally. and the conversation that we're seeing around that. Um, Hugo.
1: Yeah, I. the funny thing about this is I didn't for the longest time i didn't know sure anywhere had anything else besides the record because i was just like pretty glued to triple b around this time i think just before i just just to add my personal history like 2018 was a year i kind of fully dived into hardcore and triple b was like a very easy easy entry point with a lot of these records we'll be talking about so for me i didn't even know and i haven't I, before this exercise, hadn't even really spent time, but obviously it's great, but I don't know if it's like that for other people, but for me, I didn't even know anything else existed.
0: I think it's, it's a common, it's a common situation where, um, stuff that gets, stuff that breaks bands through and stuff that's on more prominent labels is super high visibility and it does cast a shadow over earlier, smaller stuff that is comparably good.
1: Because New Age is like a legacy label. I don't even yeah. know if they're still doing stuff. Was this just? Were they just trying to start back up, kind of thing?
0: I think so. I mean that they had to be. That had to be what it was. Without me having done like a deep dive on where New Age was at, like at this point, um, that that does that does seem like what it was. Um, moving on to I think a comparably uh, foundational uh, release: uh, Regional Justice Center, World of Inconvenience. Um, much like you with Restraining Order, Hugo, I, I'd never really given this album a, a fair shake until this exercise. I had been pretty obsessed with Institution, pretty obsessed with the the Justice single, and then pretty, obviously pretty fucking obsessed with uh, Crime and Punishment. <laughs> but um, this album, I mean, it makes a cohesive artistic statement it shows Ian's vision, and it thematically and sonically sets the stage for *Crime and Punishment*. Uh, makes that album an easy sell, and it sort of teases up a lot of th- a lot of pitches um, to get my fucking metaphors completely mixed. That that Ian ends up knocking completely out of the park on *Crime and Punishment*.
1: Yeah, I see 2019 as like when he's truly getting off because. He has the EP with Triple B and the split with Wound Man. But this is really the start of his vision because this is also the first time he works with Mark McCoy, who does the artwork, who is really important to the whole Regional Justice Center project because that that album art is, to me, just as tied to it because it's really bringing together the whole genesis of this project, which is about his uh, brother's imprisonment and bef- he had a demo before, and it doesn't quite have the, that, like, really great production of Crime and Punishment, but it's, but it's all there. And it's, you're starting to see, like, Ian continually just betting on himself, because that's how this whole project started. He was tired of, he was in this band called Seattle New Gods, and he was just getting really frustrated with working with other people so that's where the idea for rjc started he he has all the control and every little piece of it and inconvenience is the start of it for sure
0: ian shelton is the michael jordan of diy you heard it here first (laughs) what does that even mean he's the best to ever fucking do DIY and he does DIY on a completely different level than anybody else with a vision and execution that nobody else has ever fucking touched.
1: Okay. <laughs> um,
0: that's just, that's a, that's an out of the holster hot take for uh, to, to, ruffle some, Russell, some jimmies. Um, uh, next staying in the sort of really, really momentous category. This is a very, very front loaded. Uh, part of the list Gulch the burning desire to draw last breath EP self-release um definitely lays a lot of groundwork for like what what wound up being a completely fucking meteoric sonic journey on the 2020 LP um really strong tracks on this and the tracks from this still really fucking go off live like I said I, I feel like sometimes people pop uh comparably hard for these tracks as they do for the um impenetrable cerebral fortress tracks. Um I've gotten to see see Gulch live and it's I'm fucking lucky. We're lucky. We're among the lucky uh few. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and these 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 I was surprised at how hard these songs went and it made me listen to this EP and I mean nothing Nothing any hardcore band of the current day does is going to tap Impenetrable the yeah. Fortress. But it's it's impressive how much of a candle this does hold.
1: Yeah. And the thing I was thinking about is it's really hard for me to pin down what exactly about Gulch is so compelling because when I listen to them compared to other metallic hardcore, it's like it's not that far from other stuff but there's something there's something there especially here that's just so compelling i'm not sure if it's Elliot's vocals or the certain riffing that they do i just think that it's music that is ridiculously
0: easy to understand because it's being delivered with a really intuitive vision there isn't anything grandiose or fucking abstruse about the way that Gulch did it. They just kind of did it. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with just like Elliot's entire attitude and Sammy's entire attitude. Um, And I would assume like, you know, Cole's attitude as well. Just like being fucking people who just being just guys, being dudes and doing a band. Like Sammy talks very candidly about how, like, it was so funny how, how, big Gulch got how quickly because it was the band that like nobody really gave that much of a shit about they were just kind of doing it um which I think is also why they were relatively one of the reasons why they're relatively short-lived um, Totally. And, it, and it's just like there's a lot to be said um for when when for however many bands are trying to be turnstile and have this really long form grandiose artistic vision like sometimes just simple works and I think Gulch just exudes that
1: yeah, and I think it's also important to note that this, along with being the seeds for gulch, this is the seeds for like that entire scene that that they're responsible for cultivating. Drain also puts out a 2018 promo that I don't know if it popped, but it but it had some traction and I think would lay the seeds for like California Curse as a couple of those tracks. Yep. Um, and so I think that's that's important to note because a lot of the other stuff in the scene that pops is during the pandemic, but they were all playing then. Just nobody was quite paying attention the same way they are now.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, Gulch. If for some reason you haven't fucked with Gulch, you gotta, it's impossible to understand anything about this current era of hardcore without literacy in Gulch. I'm uh, going to speed bag these next few. Um, rule Them All, Alignment of Polarity, a non-trivial release for our homies over at New Morality Zine. Uh, it's Rule Them All if you haven't dabbled. It's it's kind of a modern version of the sort of Dag Nasty 411, Kill Your Idols lineage of like uh, classic, melodic, hardcore mid-tempo. Um, I think that this material is just as strong as or possibly even stronger than their, um, their 2019 follow-up dreams about. Um, I really like roll Them All. I'm excited to see what, if anything, they're able to do. Right now they're kind of in this status of like being sort of hometown heroes in Long Island and being on like this crazy Long Island hype train that currently exists. Um, they did a really good job of keeping hype around them during the pandemic and sustaining that and they just put out a really great split with incidentally kill your idols
1: totally yeah yeah i think it's important to know it's the first the first nmz one like you said it's good i don't love rule them all as much yeah as much as you but it's pretty undeniable at what they're doing and they kind of stand alone specifically in that long island scene because they are doing closer to what's traditional hardcore than like a lot of the stuff that's popping over there is much more grabbing from stuff that was 20 years ago rather than 30 or 40. Yep.
0: Exactly. Um, Section 8 they were l- put out a release called Phase 1, self-released. Um, already clearly very sophisticated Cohesive um version of just the thing that they execute much better on um Welcome to the Nightmare in 2021. Um really I like I like section eight because it's very intersectional hardcore. Like it is kind of an everything bagel. It has aspects of just about every good uh subgenre of hardcore sort of rolled into one thing that seems cohesive and not goofy. Uh, and I think that's really impressive. Like I don't think that that's a thing that people talk enough about, about section hate. And I do think that that is a thing that is kind of symptomatic of what was happening in 2018 and the kind of multiplicity of everything that would end up blossoming into being the wonderful renaissance moment that we're having right now.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to note that just like what it happens in hardcore, it's older dudes finally finding the I don't not finding, but like connecting with the current moment. These yep. are all dudes that have been playing in bands forever.. Mm-hmm. And it's I don't, I don't know what the conversation was around this around this demo because my introduction to them, similarly to restraining order was the record from last year. Same. but but that's, I think important to note, especially, that it tends sometimes happens in California where it's where you listen to interviews and they literally list they've just been playing in bands for like since they were 15 and it's suddenly they're like 32 or even older and it's
0: yeah Mike Mike is like Mike is like 40 and he's a lifer he's been doing this shit in some capacity since he was in his mid-teens so really impressive um Moving on, to be all end all. Uh, they made a decent splash last year on with the release of, of Pack Music on Triple B. Uh, this is a release on IOU Records, uh, cross listed with Big Mac um, Records. Uh, has some of the tracks from the 2021 LP, uh, Power, of adjacent, P- Power of Violence Adjacent. Power Violence Adjacent in the in this in a similar category is. Zulu and being the intersectional, um, PFC power violence. Very, very cool. Um, part of the really fucking hot moment that has been happening in Florida, South Florida, specifically they're from, I believe they're from, um, Broward County. So the Fort Lauderdale area, uh, I like the I like the production on this one a lot because it, it is fitting to the kind of PV adjacent sound I really ended up liking their LP, so it was fun going back and seeing where the kind of foundations for it were.
1: Yeah, yeah. Similarly, a band that I kind of glazed over, like even though I was paying attention to Triple B at the time when their 2019 record came out, I just never gave them a shot, but you were very into that 2021 record. Sure was. I think this is another. Just like there's a lot of these seeds where it's like this isn't the record, but it's still it's still good, and it's on. It was on IOU Records, which put which put out a bunch of stuff during this time. Put out the Method of Doubt uh, uh, record from last year. Uh, no longer, no longer a thing. And in general, at least lately, I've been very much into the PV adjacent hardcore stuff. Or even if you don't call it PV, like just fast hardcore. There's it just has like a different flavor to it that really speaks to me. Maybe it's my short attention span. But <laughs> I, right.
0: I, I, I love a short song, man. If a, if an album's got a bunch of songs under two minutes, I'm like probably gonna automatically like it <laughs> if it's totally.
1: good. If it's good,
0: being the key phrase. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Moving on uh, to Sunstroke. I feel like this is a band that has yet to really get their flowers. Um, This, um, it was an interesting move to sort of have a really inaugural LP. because I'm not sure if a band like Sunstroke is entirely compatible with the LP format. I think very few hardcore bands are. That being said, this is a this is a, a valiant effort, kind of in the same vein from where I sit as as rule them all, like a, a beef beefed up kind of modernized Rev Summer revival sound. Totally. Um, I it definitely they put out they put out a release on New Morality in the following year that I think made a bigger splash and I think the material is stronger on. Um, i I hope that this band keeps going because I think we have yet to to really see their, their height. And I do think that they're really fucking talented. And like, I know that a lot of the, uh, the scene Titans on the East coast cape really hard for this band. Like Tim Shaw shit posts about Tim Shaw from Enzin shit posts about Sunstroke so fucking much. I think it's super cute and cool.
1: Yeah. uh... (laughs) Another band I, I like, but I'm not, as high on as others and i think it might be i'm just really i tend to be really really picky about the rev summer stuff yeah it's just and i've opened myself up to it it more but it tends to just i don't i don't want to say like lack imagination but it's i don't know it's just it tends to be like genre pastiche and i i like that sometimes but for me, it doesn't, it doesn't totally work. And I think what you're you're saying that they haven't written their best record yet is, is true. And who knows, I may be wrong. Like I think the new praise record that's coming out is a really good example of how to how you can break out of that and do something that feels a little different while still paying homage to your roots uh and i think it's just another one i'm i'm still a fan of because it's on new morality zine and i feel like uh we embarrass nick every every week if he's listening to this oh yeah can't can't go can't go a week or an episode without mentioning it but i was this was around the time i was starting to pay attention to, to them so
0: yeah I mean, if uh, if you don't want people's name in your mouth, don't be fucking omnipresent. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> amazing work that amazing work that Nick is doing. You know, um, you love to see it. But uh, moving on, staying in the melodic zone, and very melodic in this case, Somerset Throwers uh, debut LP um, "Godspeed" on a uh, Long Island uh, based label. I think is run by. Ladderman and Iron Sheik alums called uh, Dead broke Yeah,
1: it's um the basis from Iron Sheik.
0: That's right. Uh early taste of what I think is becoming a more and more commonplace thing of like uh 90s post-grunge, but like the good kind of post-grunge revival, uh has a big like smashing pumpkins foo fighters energy, but like not derogatory it I, it's no secret that i really fucking like this band i saw them play in detroit a few months ago with taking meds they're fantastic they're super cool dudes around our age uh, just like salt of the earth long island fellows and they their music is really compelling and good i think that their 2020 release um paint my memory made a big splash and i think is was a much more complete work but this this record really holds up for me i still keep it in my rotation kind of a lot um i know that somerset there was a hot topic for you so i'm gonna throw the peanut over to you real quick. Uh, i
1: think i've i think i've mellowed out on uh on them a lot i included Good. them when i did a i did a piece last year when like the koyo stuff was bubbling up uh long Island, like pop punk and emo in 10 bands and I included Somerset Flower in there. I think, I think like my, not my hate, but I, I my reluctance uh, was just his vocal sounded so much like Blair Sheehan yep. of Napsack. And I feel like it's not as much on this record. It's not as, it's not as there. Uh, but I, there are bands I respect. And I think also that sort of post grunge thing you're talking about is, uh, that they're doing doesn't always work i think there's a certain strain of like that 2010s post-hardcore mm-hmm. kind of thing that i don't even want to say run for cover core but like uh it's okay it not- to say
0: run for cover core. yeah That's it's insane. not exactly
1: basement but like and it's sometimes i like it but it just starts to sound like watered down to me yeah, at a certain point, it's because they all kind of hit the same notes, like the chord wise, and I like it. It just needs to be a little more aggressive. Like I think early anxious, even though they're not t- quite doing that, they're using a lot of those same chords that Title Fight used on um on their early stuff. It's it just needs to have a little bit more of an aggressive push than a lot of the stuff t- tends to stay in the mid-tempo lane. Yep. And it's like three or four minutes. And after a while, I'm kind of like get to the point. Uh, the songs aren't strong enough, uh, but I like Somerset Fro And I think it's important to mention because of, because of the Long Island moment uh, that it's having, thanks to like Standstill and coil and all, and a bunch of other stuff. And that there is, there's there was people on the ground doing doing the work um, yeah for for a while and even though somerset frower doesn't get its flowers in the same way i think it's still important to include them here even if i am reluctant And it might have been a thing where if so many people are talking about paint my memory or at least in my corner saying how great it was and it's just a knee-jerk reaction be like i don't know i don't know about Yeah, about all of this, and it's on a label I loved that broke records. Yeah, well,
0: and Paint My Memory it was was split released on Triple B too, and that caused it to just have like a big, big pop moment. And like, I don't know, man. Looking back on 2020, it's so fucking insane to me that any band put out records to any kind of hype in that year, and like, especially a band like Somerset Thrower that (laughs) that has very little road dog history behind them it's so fucking impressive that they were able to put out paint my memory and pop like they did um i think yeah. that 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 band has a bright future if they want it um i'm curious to see what they do next
1: yeah um, i think they do short I, it looks like they do short tours i mean yeah. they, they did the taking the
0: taking that kind of short midwest run um yeah. Gonna speed bag a few here, um, just in the interest of uh you know, relative brevity, wound man, uh stompy PV, death-infused hardcore punk stuff sort of in the same vein as Candy and Gulch. Um, I like the dueling vocals. I feel like this band is kind of making a splash now. You see them on a lot of bills, you see a lot of people talking about them. They had a, I believe they had a song on the American Hearts America's Hardcore comp last year on Triple B. Um, birth old city the uh ep moment of truth on war records run by andrew klein of strife fame this is andrew taking the entire helm of the band um andrew talks about how he always wanted to always thought about doing like vocals in strife and this is a chance to actually come into his own um the vocals are predictably reminiscent of rick from strife but with um the music having kind of a more traditional straight-edge youth crew vibe and being a little bit less metallic than strife um andrew's really impressive in any role that he plays he's just a high energy dude with a vision i fucking love him the episode that he did on scope exposure recently is like top five hardcore dude interviews i've ever heard highly recommend um shout out to scoped exposure too they've been doing it for fucking ever (laughs) yeah yeah totally um super unison i'm going to kick it over to you hugo because i think you have a lot more to say about this record
1: yeah let me run through those let me i don't have much to say on burfold city but wound man's been at it for a couple of years it's pretty much trevor vaughn i think he's a rival mob yep uh he put out one of my favorite records of 20 of 2019 uh wolf whistle With Patrick Flynn, like, still, I haven't listened to it in a while, but an amazing record, like, really, I want to say a great, I'd say he has vision in a different way than, like, than, than, um, than Ian Shelton, who he did a split with, Uh, just, just that he's someone who's singularly devoted to, like, creating what's in his head and putting it out there in the world and i really appreciate it i think similarly his the 2019 split with rjc is my favorite he did a really cool uh thing on talk house uh where ian shelton and Vaughn interviewed each other about power violence that's like super interesting if you're looking for some reading uh, i don't have much to say about berfold city i listened to the newest record it's what you'd expect it's like 90s '90s straight edge uh if you like that stuff uh you'll like it uh super unison was a really really big record i think 2018 was kind of the last year death wish was really popping to me or putting out a lot of stuff and the super unison one while it didn't get like the same attention as Gouge who will talk about, I think, I think a lot of people were into it. I know Axagram would talk about it a lot and it's, it's like hardcore on the edge of post hardcore. It's got the guitarist, one of the guitarists from Snowing in it. It's post, it's the band after Punch. I think it's super, it's super riffy and accessible, especially, as someone who wasn't deep in the weeds about hardcore, like I could wrap my arms around this record while still to me at that time sounding like the most aggressive stuff I've ever heard. Uh, so I've really, the Super Unison one is probably one of my favorite records on this list.
0: Yeah, I checked that out at the time. Um, definitely... Deserves every bit of attention it gets from you. They're a, yeah. they're a band that um, I hope that the further f- we get away from this year in history, the more they'll be given flowers and retcon as being like truly, truly great because they yeah. fucking
1: are. It's it's and the thing that's hard about this one, they're kind of they kind of don't belong on any of these columns. Like they're yeah because they they pretty much break up and they don't really. They didn't come to Chicago um, after this tour, I think. So, like, it's a really good record, and I think it did well, but, like, I did, Def Wish does, like, did the thing that every label does when they're trying to get rid of stuff, the mystery box thing. And the Super Unison record was in the mystery box, along with, like, end of the year. So what that tells me is that not a lot of people were buying it, even yeah. though it did well. Okay. <laughs> it's tough when you're a label like Deathwish, who's always on
0: the novelty and legacy, like novelty. I mean, like they Deathwish does a very specific thing, and I think they've always struggled to cement themselves as a force for putting out new hype shit because they have forever a hype train built around legacy acts and reissues, right?
1: Yeah, I think Deathwish at this point. I think there yeah. was a time
0: oh yeah like they were responsible
1: 2000s. for i think responsible for cultivating a certain kind of hardcore kid
0: oh absolutely yeah mid late 2000s that's been a hot topic lately because that hardcore that the genre of hardcore kid is sort of in a, on the endangered species list um <clears throat> might be a thing that we re- revisit later in this conversation because we've got some theories uh to round this group out um Pretty quick on my end. Mill spec changes. Eleventh hour ad because I always forget that it came out this year. This fucking EP slaps. I think it's every bit as good as World House. Although World House ended up being a kind of more cohesive artistic statement. I think the tracks on this are fucking super strong. Fall Spring is still the strongest um, Mill spec track in my opinion, and the the numbers back that up. That it's the most popular. Uh, yeah they 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 set a good they they set a good agenda for what world house ended up being i love Mill spec because i think that they're the only band that does um that that successfully does any sort of homage to inside out in their sound well they're a little more melodic than inside out but i think they hit so many of the same um, like sweet spots that Inside Out hits on their one release, and I think that that's one of the reasons why people who get who get drawn in by Mill Spec get so drawn in, like like me, because there was a period of time where I wouldn't shut the fuck up about Mill Spec and I was obsessed with them. So
1: yeah, I think it's really another example of this this like grad school straight edge thing we talk about.
0: Oh yeah.
1: It's going outside of those lines. If you read you read interviews, he's drawing more from like his his own his own life and extrapolating that. I really like the artwork too. I don't right. the changes artwork my, I don't know what it is. It's super it's super evocative in a way. I, I don't have much because I like Mel Spec, but I'm not as <laughs> not as gotta,
0: great fucking Millspec super fan like i am
1: yeah, yeah. and i think the people yeah. that like them really like them because they're it's appealing to like an older aud- audience also because the singer is like 40 something or whatever another dude has just been doing it for a while and it, this one just hit i don't i don't know if, how popular this one was at the time because world house when that came out people seemed to be going crazy over it
0: yeah, we're going to move now into the, the sort of fucking main event, <laughs> which are the, the barn burners, the, the breakout records, the records that um, made a fucking red handprint on the ass of history um, by coming out this year. Um, 2018, as we've hinted at, is proving to be one of the most impactful years in modern hardcore history. And these records will give uh, you a sense of why and how I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't start with uh, good to feel by candy on triple B records might be the strongest album of this whole year in hardcore. And I'm, I'd be inclined to agree. Um, I've made an absolutely massive fucking silly impact. Everybody with any proximity to Hardcore at all was talking about this record the whole fucking year. Um, completely foundational for the current day. It's impossible to understand anything that's going on in the current day without knowing this record and having listened to it extensively, I think. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've, I've got a nasty tendency to memory hole things. Like, this band is sort of, like, at loose ends, right? Like, it's sort of shrouded in mystery what the fuck is going on with them, and their future is kind of uncertain, correct? I don't know, to be like,
1: honest.
0: One of them got in a really bad accident last year. There oh, was a GoFundMe. Yeah. me. Like, one of them, like, got hit by a bus. Like, is fucking, like... So there was a whole thing about that. One of them is doing this very extensive ad, ad campaign with fans, or at least was at some point. Like, crazy weird band. I hope that they come back because I think that they're really just getting started and I would like love to hear what a follow-up to this sounds yeah.
1: like. The guitarist is also in a colo. Yep. As well. And they don't all live... They don't live near each other That's... because it's kind of Richmond-based, but it's... Yep. it's But not really. Uh, and they did play because i did look this up they played like at the end of last year right they did like a triple b did like a showcase in new york and candy played so i don't i don't know i guess they're still playing shows and they're still a band but they also are like notoriously pretty quiet on social they're not like super online like they just dropped, like they did a merch drop like the other day, goddamn, uh, and stuff. It wasn't anything crazy, so they're still like kind of around. And this might be memory hold, but they did sign to Relapse in twenty nineteen. Yeah, put out a two song single that was pretty. That was pretty dope, from what I remember. And it seemed like they might have been another one that kind of. The pandemic might have screwed some of their momentum yeah but i think that i think
0: i think that if they want if they want to do stuff they can do it i mean like i think that i think that they're like right up they're right in the category of like fury and title fight to where like if they come back in any meaningful capacity people are going to lose their fucking minds like um yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. I would love it if they just surprise released an album on Relapse one of these days.
1: I'd love it's it because the, I think it was called Superstar. that EP seemed like they were going in a little bit of a different direction, like kind of like on that second half of Good to Feel where it has like those longer, dirgier yeah. kind of songs. Uh, I'd be interested to see just because good to feel is like such a cohesive piece and it's one of the few one of the few like hardcore bands that justifies an lp which yeah. is really hard to do hard to do and they're in their own zone like there's i think a lot of what appeals to me is there there's like a lot of japanese there's like a lot of japanese hardcore in this it's like a lot more menacing than your typical met- metallic hardcore hardcore is and along with that cohesive statement the album art is their album art is always like killer it's yeah you know, it just pairs with like this just feels like listening to a hellscape
0: completely completely fucking insane record if you if you slept on it for whatever reason over the last few years like put this record in your rotation and give it give it some listens because i i think that it's one of those records and I don't say this about many records it's like pretty impossible to not find something you love about it if you like heavy music (laughs) it's just that good
1: I agree and this is like the big I feel like this is the big triple b record
0: yep for this year definitely um uh, there's that there's another contender that we'll talk about in a little bit um but I want to move over into the um into the at this point nascent but now very fucking strong hardcore adjacent category we're talking about fiddlehead springtime and blind on run for cover records fiddlehead started off as a project band as a nonchalant side project this record come out came out blew the fucking doors off of everything turned them into a legitimate band um still had a proper touring band because they're all adults with you know real lives but Um, they've been able to get out there and continue to just become one of the most titanic bands. Um, I think sonically, the thing that I liked about this uh, record and this band when it came out is that it's the only proper answer to title fight. (laughs) Um, And and that it just just occupies that uh, liminal space in hardcore adjacent where it's culturally completely hardcore, but it has enough, you know, indie rock uh post grunge post hardcore sensibility to to be compelling to a broader broader audience and bring more people in, much like Title Fight did. Uh completely ushered in a new era for Run For Cover, uh completely expanded the Overton window for what Run Run For Cover could sound like and do. Um and I haven't said anything about the record itself, which is just a beautiful artistic statement. Um, on the, you know, the grief, uh, the, the grief and loss and mourning of, of Pat Flynn's late father, uh, sung through the lens of, written through the lens of his, his mother. Beautiful record. Uh, and really impossible to overstate how much this record started a new era for hardcore adjacent music and culture that is like thriving now. It's like one of the most important things right now
1: yeah yeah I think it's this was one of the big big ones I had I had no experience with anything Pat Flynn did before I was not a I was not a half-heart person at at that point so for me I was completely fresh I didn't listen to Basement this was just a record I really I really I really took to it's taken a while for me to fully wrap my arms around it as a concept I didn't at first, I didn't think it worked. I was kind of just like, just give me the songs. I don't need. I I, I don't I don't need the like one track where it's. I, I don't even know. It's like taken from a movie or something, um, and just the guitar in the background. Uh, he like like just just a huge one. It's it's like the highest praise I could give it is. After, like, my fourth or fifth time, like, I picked up a guitar to try to learn the riffs for this, for this album, which I don't really do a lot. Uh, and I think it's important to note, like, on my side as a writer, while this was popping at the time, uh, at least this wasn't really being covered by mainstream publications at the time. I know from friends that are writers that they were having a tough time pitching this even as it was blowing up um, um, in the underground. And it this this is a breakout, but it's also seeds for what will what will happen for Fiddlehead with the next one. Like the like the big feature for this record was on the Dig Boston, like the Boston Alt Weekly that my friend nina kakorn did uh but yeah this this record rules and is probably my i probably prefer this this one to the 2021 lp if i'm being honest
0: not that hot of a take I no think it's not I, no i not. think i think that it's it's a, a hell of a good position to be in to to be a, a band that has put out two lps that are basically equally good <laughs> as each other in completely different ways. Um, Fiddlehead. Again, it's one of the much like a lot of the bands in this in this cohort, like it's impossible to understand anything that's going on in the current moment without a grasp of Fiddlehead and what they've been up to. Um, staying in the adjacent category, um, moving on to drug church cheer on Pure Noise Records. Um, the proper coming out moment for this band, right? i have been a drug church guy since jump. Uh, I started following them after they put out their debut EP. Um Paul Walker 2013 was huge for me. The band's been grinding and putting shit out for 6 plus years at this point. Cheer is when they finally make a cohesive statement and finally make up an impact that is as massive as their um as their uh sonic <laughs> footprint as a band. Um the production and songwriting on this album in particular, they they really do usher in a new sort of renaissance of hardcore adjacent music alongside Fiddlehead. It's impossible to talk about this record without uh, talking about the very specific uh, studio auteur style of of John Markson, um, also known as Steel Wolf, who uh made his sort of first real uh imprint on the world of music with with this record uh it is produced like a fucking Kurt Ballou record but for for Hardcore Jason <laughs> I mean, it's just I can't I can't say enough good things about the production and the record in general it made such a huge impact on me and this this album in the world that i think you and i sort of live in uh it just made a crater like huge 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 larger than life and set up everything about the trajectory of drug church that we currently know and completely put um this and signing to peer noise and all the clout that that gives you put drug church in a completely new league and we saw one of the most amazing shows ever when drug church and Heart Attack Man and Gouge Away played a matinee at Cobra Lounge in Chicago in the fall of 2018, shortly after this record came out.
1: It was beautiful. Yeah, that was like a really... That was like a really big eye-opening show for me, and like I was not... I wasn't even fully on the train for either, but something about a matinee show is a sweetening of the deal, and to see this stuff up close, it was pretty mind-blowing, like... I I remember talking to you or Zach Pork after the show, and being like, oh, Oscar bait makes so much sense. And I, I liked Drug Church before that, like the 2015 EP specifically. Uh, but it definitely opened my eyes and I kind of decided, okay, this kind of music is for me very shortly after like wrote my first um. Album review if ever or whatever and kind of started me on that trajectory. Yeah,
0: um, impossibly important record, and every bit of the foundation for the album hygiene that directors just came out with, which I was listening to multiple times today for whatever reason, finally clicked with me. um oh, nice, stay, staying in the uh, staying in the Pat Kinlan extended universe. This is an asterisk. It's not really a hardcore record, but it's hardcore adjacent enough for us to consider it and talk about it here. Self Defense Family Have you considered punk music? On Run for Cover Records. Um, Patrick Kinlan is an undeniable figure in hardcore discourse, being one of the hosts of Axe to Grind, being a busy, busy man, and being somebody who is a culture lifer. Um, one of the most iconic figures in the history of the culture at this point this album is a love letter to hardcore <laughs> so it's important to be included here it's the best self-defense release by a mile the most complete statement uh and easily want to Pat the one of the best releases in pat's body of life's work in general um vocals on this were done by um john markson who did cheer uh interestingly enough instruments on this record were done by none other than taylor young oh (laughs) Uh, at the pit in van nuys which is so funny because this is a fucking indie rock record yeah um and uh and taylor is if you you know he's just he's mr hardcore producer guy so i think it's great and i do think that taylor puts a wonderful imprimatur on this record and makes it sound a very specific way Um, this is one of my favorite records of all time this record is always in my rotation. I have a CD of it in my car. I'm fucking obsessed with this record. It, on any given day, it might be my favorite record on this whole fucking list.
1: Yeah, I really think of these records in tandem, uh, the Drug Church and Self-Defense family, because I feel like they came out pretty close to each other, and I feel like they represent these two different sides of Patrick. Uh, even though he doesn't write anything for Drug Church, it's very much. I want to have fun. The shows are. Patrick is very much the leader and tr- and telling telling the big the big dude to catch the little dude when they're stage diving and trying to make sure everyone's having a fun time. Uh, and cheer in particular, you kind of get Patrick's. I don't know how you describe it. Anti cancel culture kind of stuff with um, yeah. license hall monitor um if you live long enough you'll do something wrong enough and it's and a lot of the stuff even if it's like fictional is taken from his experience this is a little bit because i know he had a time where he was overseas and that happened where um he had to cancel a show or whatever because of something that happened uh and cheers cheers my introduction and kind of sold me on the band entirely and even listening now i still i still get a lot out of it uh self self defense is very much like more of an inward turn for patrick i i think of the lyric um is it possible to do a thing forever and get no better uh something that i think about way too much and is like patrick Dang. and his most vulnerable Dang. as some Because he even more, we talk about these bands that like hit very well from dudes that are very late in life, but Patrick has been doing the stuff under self-defense like for years at this point and end of the year and kind of he's on big labels like run for cover and reckoning probably with the fact that it's not as popular as his other band which is just a really interesting dichotomy that that happens and it's like juxtaposed not juxtaposed but it's like against these very pretty like soundscapes um on the record
0: yeah i think it's important to note here just like in case there are people who don't have like the you know depth of encyclopedic patrick kindlin lore knowledge that we have that um Patrick has been doing music since roughly 2003, back when he was a Bridge Nine board troll by trade. Um, The first band that he started was a band called End of a Year, um, which he did up until about 2011. And in 2011 or so, after touring the world with Have Heart, he decided to sort of bifurcate the sound of End of a Year into Drug Church, which is more four on the floor post-hardcore party music as he's now talking about it and Self-Defense Family, which is more self-indulgent, philosophical, ponderous and has a way looser cadence and increment of release. And I think that's just a really, it's, and that's an interesting lens to filter your artistic vision through. Um, and I think it's, it's important to like understand Knowing that is just important to understanding both of these albums in particular and the significance that they have. Because this this year was a effectively a referendum on that vision for Patrick. And the success and critical reception of these two albums in tandem with each other um, completely put Patrick in just like a completely new league as a cultural uh, force.
1: Yeah. And I think like what really helps having considered punk music is it's not as self-indulgent or as out there as something like Try Me, which yep. I believe has that interview in the middle of it. And the discography is so big because he's done so many seven inches and in EPs that like for someone like me that never had to listen to them having uh, just a record in a very classical sense, it's what, whatever, how many songs for however many minutes. And that's it. And I haven't even dived into everything yet, but that can't be overlooked.
0: Staying in the category of breakout records, uh, we've got a little record called "Error Zone" by a, a band that you may have heard of by now called Vane or Vane FM, depending on how you say it. They've been on the. <laughs> nobody vein. says Vane
1: FM. That's, yeah, nobody that's
0: actually nice says thing. that. This is what their branding says. Anyway, Arizona, Closed Casket activities, huge agenda-setting record for Closed Casket. Like, obviously, the big breakout for Closed Casket happened back in 2011 with Harm's Way Isolation. That was the record that really put the label on the map. But this was, like, a huge salvo for Closed Casket being a relevant force in moving the fucking needle on stuff that was going to be important. It's one of the most innovative hardcore records of the modern era. It made a huge fucking splash when it came out. People sort of almost didn't know what to think. I think I saw a lot of people like getting fucked up about it. Like, am I allowed to like this? Cause this sounds like new metal. Um, I, my, the, my favorite thing that I heard said about it at the time was somebody called Vane corn verge, which I think is just like, yeah, super fucking perfect. Um, but that sells it short, because it's just an absolutely punishing, diabolical fucking sonic assault for every second. And it is, I know, Hugo, you talk a lot in a way that I really appreciate about, like, records that are sonically punishing to the point where they make you feel exhausted and uncomfortable. And this record is every bit of that. Um, it just has an urgency and a pace that I just haven't heard in in, in any other record that isn't a nails record and i just i just think it's a completely essential sort of agenda setting record for the genre because it completely expanded the window of what was possible and acceptable in hardcore to include stuff that was way more experimental and metallic than um stuff that we had been previously considering in this decade
1: yeah i think it pushes it forward pushes it forward in terms of that new, the new metal influence be be a little more except acceptable and it's uh it's like a logical push because you can only get so extreme with the way stuff was going and just that little little tweak is is so is like so essential to to this i don't know it's air, air zone it it kind of, it's another one that I'll draw the Alomar. It kind of feels like it's prickling you, like it's pricking your eye and like pushing you, pushing you around uh, and seeing them live recently, like only kind of drove, drove that home. Like I, I tend to use the, the the phrase, like it gave me a headache, but I, I, I feel, I feel exhausted in a good in a good way after listening to this, and I f- I think this is the the record the record for them where everything kind of comes together. Another similar one where I didn't know they have such a deep catalog. Yeah. Um, and in that way, they kind of to bring it back. They kind of remind me of Harm's Way, where they started off almost like PV aggressive. Yeah. And like slowly built built up to what they eventually became on Arizona
0: they these guys are like really young too like these guys are like fucking 25 like they and they've been doing this shit for damn near a decade like they were fucking in high school when they started and they started off ostensibly as like a like screamo band, yeah. and then eventually you know parlayed their way i think a lot of it was contingent on um them adding john their bassist into the band who's ostensibly yes. the base of the band um, and he's the one who had like a lot of the hardcore sensibilities and the band really kind of cracked off in the direction that we see them going now when john joined and i think yeah. 2017 was when he joined
1: john is a monster like he's really the person that drives those the live show absolutely and his, his other bands are Insane, living, living weapon? weapon,
0: so fucking good. No
1: soul saved, which yeah. put out a, a promo. It's it, it's so good, and it's not even like side project core. Like they stand on their own, especially that living weapon stuff. Give me an album cover with a white background and guns. uh I'm in. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, Vain. This this record is still still insane.
0: Absolutely holds up and a perfect uh a perfect foundation for their recent release, This World Is Gonna Ruin You, um, which is a totally new take on um, and but staying in a in a lane that is sonically similar enough to, to seem cohesive. Um very much feels like a, a deserved sequel, I think. Uh, Staying in the really punishingly heavy zone, but moving over to a completely different um, neighborhood of that town, Um, talking about Jesus peace, only self on on Southern Lord records. Um, This really put stompy, ignorant, heavy, slammy, hardcore uh at the forefront of the scene and the culture in a way that it hadn't been in a while or maybe kind of ever i think like i think so much of what we see now you know in bands that are getting really big like kubla khan um and volcano and you know a lot of the you know kind of slam adjacent stuff yeah really got from from where i sit, it really got uh got sort of introduced and socialized with this release um jesus piece has become a really really iconic band um i think a lot of that is at the behest of their incredibly lit set at this is hardcore 2019 which is one of the most popular Hate hate56 videos um one of the most high energy sets that's ever been documented um and for pretty obvious reasons aaron heard the singer is a black man, uh, and a lot of their songs are very directly about race politics. Um, this band became massively popular during the summer of 2020, and the uh, you know the collective awakening that we had around race politics during during that time. And I think that uh, this band gets sort of a special asterisk culturally because of how fucking unbelievably relevant they've become in that regard. Um, they're really starting to do stuff again. And I'm super excited to to see what they do next in terms of releasing music. I finally get to see them this summer at Tiedown in Detroit, and I couldn't be more stoked.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot they were playing that.
0: Yeah, it's fucking sick.
1: Yeah. I was gonna say another band that's from this year where I'm just waiting to hear what the next record sounds like. Cause I think as you said, the the culture's changed a lot where people people are really thirsting for like this kind of this kind of ignorant metalcore in a way it seems like everything even if it's like even if it's not necessarily the same thing i don't know like gridiron or something is yeah,
0: yeah. i think the gridiron is way more in like the sort of classic kind of mad ball worship
1: yeah
0: um, no i think i think that the close i think
1: is... like people that are into gridiron are, and like that kind of extended tree they come from absolutely like, like kind of obvious you could probably go more year of the knife or something
0: totally but at any rate i think that like the cool thing about jesus piece is that this record um has maintained its status and has maintained the status of jesus piece as like the best in class um slammy thud mosh band like i don't think a band has from anything that i've heard um, has done the done the thud mosh thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: better. Like there are a couple mosh parts like on this album. I think the one in in the silence in particular. Like when I hear that mosh part, I teleport to an Arby's and fight somebody. I'm just like Ugh. I'm just like Fuck it. It's just it's it's a fucking thing. So and this um,
1: like I think what really carries it, and it's similar to the vein thing. It's just heavier. The production is just heavier and it's and it's like even more all and en- engrossing than your typical stuff i think the guitars in particular just sound enormous and i think that makes like a really big difference from putting it above your typical metalcore metallic article because there's a certain point when you listen to that stuff where i feel like i can predict what happens next. Like even though we'll talk about that, even though I like King Nine, something about it feels very familiar to me, and like I'm I'm expecting all the moves that are coming. Where with Jesus peace, it doesn't it doesn't feel that way. It's legitimate. It legitimately like is threatening or or scary. It's like I could um, you can make that joke. Show uh, one note of Jesus peace. And a pilgrim would die on the spot absolutely
0: yeah no if, if you you would merely have to uh to kill aaron burr you would you would you would merely have to play him one note of a jesus beast song and he would his head would fucking explode on the spot southern lord i think is in a really great catbird seat as a label of being a good home for bands that are on the on the margins of who are in hardcore, but sonically on the margins of hardcore, pushing those margins outward, and I think this record is a perfect case study in that. Um, with that being said, we're going to move over uh, and spend a little time over in the category of um, sort of standing strong, uh, big set of air quotes, um, bands and releases, because there were a lot of a lot of records that came out this year. That were really formidable career defining efforts from bands that had been around for a while and who had already made a substantial imprint on the genre and the culture. Um, first of these uh, records needs no introduction, especially in the current moment that we're in, is Turnstile Time and Space on Roadrunner Records. The inaugural Roadrunner LP from the band, um, it really cemented turnstile as a fixture in the scene after their 2015 breakout release, nonstop feeling. Um, I think a really interesting set of sonic and artistic choices because nonstop feeling was a work of genius because it was just an aggressively weird record sonically, but also artistically because they chose to go in this like super groovy kind of Jane's addiction direction with their stuff and also draw on a lot of like um like really it was like a really proper early 90s post hardcore sort of groove record in a way that i don't think maybe people talk about enough um but at any rate like this record saw them sort of get more narrow and focused with their sound um in a way that amounted to i i always one of the reasons i like this record one of the reasons it's my favorite turnstile record is because it it sounds to me like the way a Beastie Boys record would have sounded if they'd stayed a hardcore band. (laughs) Um, I love it. I can't say enough good things. They really show their range on this record and there are some of the most like iconic parts. Obviously the opening track, Real Thing, is like one of the best opening tracks on any album ever and I think the album ends just as strongly as it begins because the mosh part at the end of the title track time and space the last track on the record is like it's a classic mosh part like but it's so fucking heavy in its own right um i'm obsessed with this record it goes so many different places and stays so cohesive sounding and i think it sets such a wonderful stage um and builds such a wonderful bridge between what they had done prior and what they ended up doing on glow on
1: yeah yeah it's definitely like to me a transition record because i think it's really hard to do what they did on Nonstop feeling like you said it's it's weird it's where people start loving like like that jane's addiction like they're just an alt-rock band they're not like they're not hardcore just because of how much like it just feels like rap rock uh and i think I think time and space is where they converted a lot of maybe naysayers. In my opinion, I know just from talking to people, there was a lot of uh, people that were not as into them. But with this one, they they got converted. This was my this was my introduction. I think this was their introduction to like a lot of non-core people uh even if it did get panned by pitchfork i got like a 4.8 which is it's so just fucking bullshit
0: <laughs> makes me
1: so fucking mad man
0: i like i i have i have had it out for pitchfork ever since that happened i was so fucking angry and still am to this day clearly god damn it. yeah
1: and like i just want to bring that up because i think it's important to remember what the conversation was around from like non hardcore circles around around hardcore it's different it's different now where even something like knocked loose will get like a 7.8 or an 8 now uh but at that time they were kind of getting penalized for trying to do trying to do something different uh yeah and i think that it's really important that you you bring up
0: such an important thing which is that we're deep enough into the cultural supremacy moment that hardcore is having right now, um, to where it's starting to become very easy to forget that up until literally basically the pandemic, hardcore was so fucking culturally marginalized because of how many um, unfortunate cultural outputs it had in the twenty in the twenty tens to where like there was just this miasma and stigma around hardcore for so much of that time where the average, you know, John Q public, you know, in the, mu- you know, average Chad music enjoyer um, had this sort of universal, this like view of hardcore as just being stupid, tough guy shit. And like, so this record and so many of the records that came out this year came into the world that had that set of, um Critical lenses and not the, you know, hardcore on top, very like rah-rah, rah mentality that we're seeing now. And so many of the sonic foundations that allowed for hardcore's meteoric rise got set during this year. And this record was yeah. one of
1: them. And like I do want to say it's hard, it was hard for me to keep this in mind, but Andrew Sacker and Tom Bryan, both of uh them, and Brooklyn we were writing about this stuff, but it's be but during the pandemic it became a lot more centralized. I think it's important to note Tom Bryan of stereogram started the "Let the Roundup Begin" as hardcore column, right as the pandemic was happening, and that was a super big help. Uh, yes, Andrew started his his like in defense of the genre column too, and I think that that stuff's important because rising tides lift all boats, and it's and it gives a place for labels that are emerging to just another promotion tool. And even though this this turnstile record was like relatively liked on those sites, it was still it still wasn't it still wasn't quite quite there. But I think people by the time twenty twenty one came around, people were more open. Younger writers were starting to infiltrate these spaces that grew up on this kind of stuff and to give it more of a of a signal boost okay that's i just had to i just had to bring in some of my music writer
0: absolutely you gotta i mean seriously the it's really important this conversation would be completely off the mark if it didn't acknowledge the like the undeniable agenda setting power of um music writers of the very prolific variety shifting their focus to hardcore that made such a huge impact in the current, uh, moment of cultural supremacy that hardcore is enjoying. Um, moving on band from Chicago called harm's way. One of the more iconic bands in the genre the most popular hate five, 6 video because of the running man meme. Oh,
1: yeah. um,
0: Album called Post-Human on Metal Blade Records. Um, From the numbers, the most, from the streaming numbers perspective, the most popular um, Harmsway record, definitely their most complete record uh, to date. uh, Finally, like a proper follow-up to Isolation uh, after Rust. I know Rust had tracks, Rust had some really iconic tracks, but um, I've listen to interviews with Bo, shout out, form a passion. Once um, uh, yeah. Once again, always caping it for them. Uh, the inter- the Bo talks pretty at length about how they weren't really satisfied with um, rust as a, as an artistic statement. And this, I think the most importantly was, this was the record where they finally gave themselves permission to go full send on all of their influences and giving proper, um giving proper room um for their influences and this was particularly heard in like the increased influence of Godflesh and nine inch nails like this album is so much more industrial than any of their other records there's so much more sampling there's so many more break beats um a lot of stuff that you kind of hear being explored in a different way on the vein record get explored in a very kind of more classic way and if you if you listen to Bo talk it's it's pretty straightforward. Like they were just listening to so much fucking Godflesh when they made this record. And the nice thing is I I feel like they, they do that sound a little better and more cohesively and compellingly than Godflesh ever did. Like Godflesh, (laughs) Godflesh is a great band, but they suffer from too many fucking records syndrome where like, it's so hard to just get a cohesive download of everything that's good about Godflesh. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this this record is is sort of like a Cliff's Notes for everything that's good about Godflesh, in my humble opinion.
1: Man, <laughs> I, I'm not even that big of a Godflesh person, but I, yeah, I wish yeah, yeah, I wish I, I love go.
0: Godflesh, but they have too many fucking records. Jesus Christ! Like, they're,
1: but they're both doing something very very different. I think harmsley nods to that stuff, totally. he doesn't fully get into that because that would not be harm's way absolutely if, if, yeah if it was that because Godflesh just feels like working in a factory it's, not just... it's a fact
0: uh it's true
1: um but yeah i feel like this is even though rust is decent like you said i think it's like where harm's way kind of finds themselves once again i think they were partially buoyed by going on t- tours with the young bands like knocked loose yeah, and to like really get back get back to it, I think they were a little bit ground down creatively by like touring as much as they did, and I I think it's it's given them a second life. Where I am, I'd be interested to see what the response would be like if they announced a record um, right now.
0: I also think that it's impossible to just as we talked about. John Markson's influence on cheer I think it's impossible to talk about this record in a complete way without talking about kurt Ballou and the fact that this is the first record that they did with him and the fact that he is such an agitational and specific producer like they put he I believe Bo talks about this in that interview that like kurt pushed them in directions um, and into territory that they may not have gone uh, otherwise and I think that sometimes to king make you as a band and specifically in the case of harm's way, who's on the margins between hardcore and metal to push them into a proper territory where they could go on world tour with all these big ass metal bands and be on metal blade records, all that stuff. Um, having the sort of stamp of legitimacy that having a Kurt blue record gives you uh, pretty pivotal, pretty undeniable.
1: Oh, totally.
0: Um, staying in the sort of metal blade zone, uh, and the very metal adjacent neighborhood of hardcore in a completely different sonic way we're talking about twitching tongues gaining purpose through passionate hatred um what an absolute fucking roller coaster that this band had um this album is a full on comeback and victory lap in one fell swoop for twitching tongues um completely validated and cemented the importance of, and the need for the, the Troy core with big set of quotes, uh, genre and what, by that I mean the upper, the uh, very niche upstate New York um, flavor of hardcore with melodic vocals that were heavily influenced by Peter Steele of Carnivore and Typo Negative. Um, the biggest part of the vision board for this band And I think that they had had varying degrees of success in executing on this and also getting it to pop off commercially, huge artistic bravery, one of the most like visionary, but very specific, um, but very convicted in what they kind of wanted to do bands. I just, I I became like a true believer on Twitching Tongues relatively recently. Um, And a big part of it was getting the elevator pitch from colin's form of passion interview on on why this record was so important um and it really like it put the sort of typo negative carnivore worship stuff in a culturally legitimate place that it hadn't been um after you know disharmony their 2016 record kind of famously flopped and was critically panned and wasn't really liked by the fans either uh the thing about the thing about uh, gaining purpose is that they hit every mark And they cemented a legacy for bands like Age of Apocalypse to follow. And now um, liking Pete Steele is like a really cool thing to do. And I predict that after this Age of Apocalypse record of this year, like there's probably going to be a whole kind of micro genre of Pete Steele worship happening in hardcore. Just speculation, but I think it's possible.
1: I think you should also in terms of new bands mad mutually assured destruction
0: absolutely yeah
1: ace a stallings band has an lp coming out pretty pretty soon and i think he's that def- probably influenced by the twitching tongue stuff 100 percent. and i think it's like you said it's important to note that there was a time you know when they were starting where it was revolutionary in a way and it it's like a little vulnerable to be the the band out there doing what is clearly like metal in, in, a, in the hardcore community, but not like the cool kind of metal. It's not death metal. It's not like a, it's not like aggressive. It's not aggressive in that way. It's got the familiar hardcore parts, but it's clean singing. Colin, I've seen him like, he like wears like a, biker jack jacket kind of thing Oh, when he plays so <laughs> fucking cool the LLB of video that I watch is super cool and it's and it definitely like paved the way for Age of Apocalypse where people are like now yeah I'm totally into that but I think an audience 10 years ago wasn't quite ready for that and it's it's cool to see them go for all that stuff with this harmony and make make another record you know on on their own terms and i, I feel like people people are ready for whatever they'll do if yeah. they do anything
0: i think that the young brothers have shifted seamlessly into being in god's hate mode and i've i've yeah. talked, I've talked uh, extensively with people about um how i think that colin executes almost as like executes his vision almost as well as the backup vocalist in god's hate like i think that he's able to deliver enough of the troy core flavor yeah backup vocals in that band particularly on the newest album like i don't know i don't i don't i don't uh i'm I'm curious to see i feel like twitching Tones, if they want to make another album they've cemented their legacy enough with this with this record to where they probably could but i also think gods hate fucking rules
1: yeah and that, there's that there's helps. a lot of bands here where i'm just saying i'm ex- i'm interested to see what they'll do next because four years is a long time but for mm-hmm. f- between records and it's just just interesting you get a little too used to like the every two years thing there's a band yeah. constantly churning
0: for sure and especially with covid essentially blowing an 18 month shotgun hole and everything like there's like the the timeline is eight offset by roughly 18 months so um we'll see but at any rate the current god's hate fucking rah 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 moment i don't think would have the same level of of impact if it hadn't been for this this twitching tongues release and the young brothers just becoming these omnipotent figures <laughs> pretty pretty cool yeah um a little uh, a release that's a little more more marginal but Mega important in the narrative um, for various reasons. True love, the pact on Triple B. Um, this was a as as we will continue to discuss in part two. Uh, this is this was a big year for Triple B. This was kind of the year for Triple B. Um, this was a really interesting moment where True Love put out their most cohesive work as a relatively underrated band with a really ascendant label triple b at the sort of moment that that label was about to pop off and it almost kind of felt like a ships in the night thing like as far as i know like true love kind of fizzled out after this um big l for michigan hardcore i'm not sure there might be people from true love in never ending game
1: yeah i, I think so i looked at discogs i think there's yeah. someone from never ending game and freedom
0: Yep. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense for, I think true love. And I think essentially true love and freedom kind of broke up around the same time and super grouped into, um, never ending game with a couple new members. Never ending game is holding it down for Michigan better than any fucking band ever has in hardcore. So since negative approach. So, uh, shout out to them, um, doing huge, huge things, but I do, I did really like true love. I thought that they did a very specific sort of, um, uh, revival of the early 2000s Death Wish sound. Um, I think it's I think it's fun, just aggressive meat and potatoes, hardcore. Uh, I think really interesting legacy piece of the sort of mid 2010s sound that is absolutely gonna be overshadowed by whatever is happening right now. And so um, this record is an important record to talk about um, because it's sort of like in the kind of last of the Mohicans territory. Um, in terms of outputs in this year sort of alongside king nine where like things died off pretty quickly for those bands and just got completely subsumed by the renaissance moment that we're talking about right now
1: yeah i i had never listened to true love (laughs) until this if i'm being honest i feel like when one step closer did that record selection uh with run on the run for cover YouTube channel. Uh one of the guys picked a true love record.
0: I think it was this one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I that was the first I heard of it. And yeah, I think it it really doesn't sit with the moment in 2018 that well. Like you said, it kind of feels if you like compare it against a lot of the other 2018 triple B stuff, it does feel like of a different time um, to, to me, at least maybe it's just, it's a little too straightforward compared to at least a lot of the stuff that's clicking for me. It's either like that super aggressive, like the super heavy, like vein stuff or like the more, the more non-core like super melodic stuff it's kind of like in the middle middle of it it's very meat and potatoes and like i enjoyed it but it's not something that that would immediate that would have connected with me when it came out especially it came, it's like the it came out like in january or something yeah 2018
0: yeah definitely like it literally came out prior to i think it was maybe march or april when sam decided he was going to go full send on triple b and make it his full-time shit and like that's what gave so much buoyancy to um candy and uh spoiler mind Force. um and so it's interesting to have this relic of like the very brief period of the year where sam hadn't (laughs) hadn't gone all in on the label yet it's sort of like the last um non-serious triple b release cool at any rate important to preserve it in amber because that entire era of hardcore is slowly getting completely fucking subsumed by what's happening right now <laughs> so
1: um and i think it's also a really interesting test case of like well like what gets forgotten yeah Be- because that's always like even fo- even four years later like there's stuff we're not taught that we're not talking about that like crime watch or something that was huge at the time but that yeah i don't hear anybody talking about anymore
0: it's like we didn't know like we didn't know it was about to fucking hit us that's yeah. one of the reasons why this year is so fucking cool it's like literally like a like you never you're never fully aware that historic moments are happening while they're happening they oh totally, their significance grows in hindsight um again just making the case further and further for why this this episode is important um and move over into the sort of legacy category now and talk about what i think is one of the most formidable comeback albums that a band has ever fucking done full stop um hope's fall arbiter came out mid-year i think july june or july um on equal vision records and absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt the band's strongest work outside of their extremely iconic 2002 trust kill record the satellite years um hopes falls a really interesting case because after satellite years one of their pivotal members left and they completely shifted their sound from like the very specific and iconic sound that they'd cultivated on the satellite years that, you know, made such a big legacy for them and like cemented them as one of the, you know, flagship trust kill bands, Um, they shifted over sort of in a similar way to what Cave-In did uh, into like an entirely kind of space rock, post-hardcore mishmash, right? And from, from my years, they didn't really fully solidify and nail down that sound until this record, which dropped 11 years after their previous record, All of the Sky. I might be messing that name up. Who cares? (laughs) 2007 was their last record prior to this. Magnetic North was the name of that record. At any rate, this record fucking rules. The album art is amazing. It is long, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. It is... If you like, if you like any of the Aaron Turner stuff, Isis, et cetera, it's very much kind of in that same zone, but it has like just enough kind of like swoopy scene hair energy uh, to keep it, you know, different from that. Uh, I also think that like, if you like a perfect circle, this record really can hit, and I know, You've got some really interesting opinions on what it sounds like too, but I think that this record might have flown under some people's radars or people might have dismissed it because it is a, it is a comeback record. And like, if you like Hope's Fall or if you don't like Hope's Fall, like this is a fucking great record.
1: Yeah. I f- it, You can't see, obviously, because listeners are listening, but I had a lot of puzzled faces with some of those with some of those comps, uh, I don't even know. I know when you played this for the first time, I said like out like alkaline trio, like good morning is was was my comp. I don't know if I'd stick stick to that. I, I think you're right. My biggest issue is it's way too long. For, so fucking long for what they're doing. I don't need this kind of record, I don't I need it to be 28 minutes, not like 45. Yes. And that's a big issue and also i'm still new on the hopes fall train and i'm kind of right now like in that period where i love the satellite ears and it doesn't and half of why i like the satellite ears is that the clashing between pretty and disgusting in terms of local stuff and yeah. by, by now it's 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 just a different band so it's not totally there and I think where it suffers is not only is it long, but some of these songs are are also super super long in their own way. Uh, and yeah, but it's still it's still a it's still a Hope's fall record. I I also think it might just be one of those reunions that's just for the people that love them. I don't know if they're catching anybody yeah. now. I don't know if you liked. If
0: you like that Hum record that came out in 2020, I'd give this one a give this one a shot. I think that they I just
1: have trouble hearing the Space Rock stuff you're saying. Oh, just I mean
0: like they're just the guitars are just so epic and soaring and just like fucking it has like a really similar energy to like Cave In Antenna. I think like, I
1: can hear that more. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um but that might just be because Cave In Antenna was the first that flavor of post-hardcore record I heard, and so it's kind of permanently tinted everything I've heard since then. At any rate, um, a completely uh, sonically opposite record, Terror, Total Retaliation on Pure Noise, um, Fast and Furious in a way that Terror hadn't been uh, since the Todd Jones era, um, really starts to set the sonic stage for the material that Terror are rolling out presently now that Todd Jones is back in the band and sort of at the helm from a production perspective I think that it's cool now looking back at this moment in the Terra discography because it was at this point it sort of felt like Terra had been making the same record over and over again albeit a very good formula but they were finally starting to kind of go into territory where we're like wait what's going on or like they so gonna start being fast again, and this record sort of captures that moment pretty perfectly. And again, I think like so many other records here, it's kind of a microcosm of how pivotal uh, twenty eighteen would prove to be. Because now Terror, in like uh, a week from a week and a half from us recording this, is about to put out a new record um, that is about to just completely fucking. I I think that this Terror record that's about to come out is gonna completely change the game,
1: like. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I'm i lucky that I've already heard the new Terror record. And I can confirm that maybe the best hardcore record of the year. Uh, I think the singles that they've chosen are all bearing that out. And I think similar to like to Turnstiles Time and Space, this 2018 record feels like a test drive for what they're going to do because they're getting faster but the big thing with the new record is adding todd jones it's just it it just has more of that that nails this is super it's 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 just heavier and faster and those two combinations are like it's just deadly for terror it's even have i think it's like the newest record is like the heaviest stuff i've heard from them even more so than the the other Todd Jones material and kind of like what we said when we did our terror episode there's kind of that you you kind of wonder if they were noticing the hardcore punk stuff starting to pop up around this time and sort of grabbing from that because it does feel they feel it feels revived like something's revitalized even though like um you know they've always had their their ear to the ground in terms of what was happening but it feels this they feel very in tune with the moment that's happening at this in 2018 and they they still do and it's been 20 years now of that
0: yeah 20 years of terror the greatest hardcore band to ever do it like beyond the shadow of a fucking doubt um it was true before this album and this uh, this album that's about to come out is going to fucking cement that for them like such an exciting moment um, the very the very fucking anticipatory giddy moment that we're currently in because terror is about to trap like what might be their best records as underdogs and people are gonna lose their fucking minds and it's gonna completely change the game because terror um, unlike any other band in the history of hardcore has the has the power to single-handedly switch the agenda entirely it's gonna be cool yeah um talking about bands with similar gravity um madball put out a record <laughs> in 2018 and a, a non-trivial record called uh, for the cause on nuclear blast records that uh it's from streaming numbers perspective they're most One of the most popular records, besides obviously set it off, which is the go-to. Um, it's the most capable old guy hardcore record ever made. Um, this album, it's unfair how hard it goes. Um it has features from the likes of Ice T and Tim Armstrong that go unfairly hard. Um, and if you if you merely accept it for what it is, which is a victory lap record by guys that have been in the game for 25-plus years, it's good. It's really, really, really (laughs) good. I like this record a lot. It is, in keeping with popular opinion, my second favorite record of theirs next to Set It Off. That's probably a hot take. I don't give a fuck. I like what I like. This record rules.
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't really have much to say because – it's mad ball i mean i guess i was surprised how i i haven't spent enough time with mad ball the one thing i was surprised by was just how how much just just sounds like modern hardcore to me as i was listening to it like i don't know i i listened to pain and truth on this i'm like i don't see the difference so maybe not really
0: yeah (laughs) new york new york hardcore has stayed this unbelievably cohesive thing since Madball and Sick of It All blew the doors off of it in 94. Like, 94 was, you know, obviously when fucking Set It Off and Scratch the Surface came out, like, New York Hardcore was forever changed by those records and maintained such a strong lineage of that sound to this day. I think it's so interesting to be in a moment now where you have the legacy titans like mad and sick of it all doing stuff that sounds that way and then you also have gen z fucking bands like pain of truth um doing things that way and then you have bands in the interim like death threat who have also been doing stuff like that even though death threat aren't a new york band per se in that sonic tradition you know what i'm saying yeah that uh is the perfect uh segue to Sick of It All, who also put out a record on Century Media this year called Wake the Sleeping Dragon. It is also a stupendously popular record on streaming. Um I'd never given this record a fair shake, if we're being honest, just because I I don't know, like Sick of It All's fucking discography is so front-loaded. Like yeah, fucking definitely. Blood Sweat and Scratch the Surface and Built the Last are all such perfect records that like, it's hard to want to go beyond them. But the thing about Sick of It All, and this might be an unpopular opinion among the true heads, but Sick of It All's never made a bad record. And fucking Death to Tyrants 2006 is one of their best fucking records. And it's one of my favorite of theirs. It's the one that I reach for after fucking Scratch the Surface and Blood Sweat, if we're being honest. And this record and particular is really cool because it shows them getting ever the more sophisticated and the production on this record is really fucking cool and like now that i listen to this record for this exercise i think it might sneak its way into my rotation on a regular basis because i think it's cool as fuck and i think it's just amazing that these guys are like in their fucking 50s and still making shit like this like it's fucking cool as hell i love it yeah
1: I was so I it was funny listening to Madfall and Sick of It all back to back because if you play the two songs on the playlist, it's like if I was blindfolded, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference.
0: The it's so <laughs> the the way that the the sonic sensibilities of these two bands have converged over the years and where they've just kind of become the same band is really funny. Like I remember. Even if you listen to Hold It Down, the 2000 Mad Ball um, record, it's like astonishing how much more sick of it all esque it is than the earlier Mad Ball stuff. And like, yeah, Lou and Freddie just sound really similar now. Um, I think Freddie must have literally like chopped and screwed his vocals on set it off to make them sound the way that they did. And yeah. maybe I'm demonstrating my style as well. Um, because like, if you watch them live, and if you listen to any of the like post hold it down records, motherfucker just sounds like Lou, yeah. and that's a great way to sound, because Lou is the best fucking yell, the best yelly guy hardcore vocalist ever. It's the best.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love both these bands a lot. My 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 marking for classic NYHC is showing. I fucking. <laughs> There are legitimately a lot of days where you can ask me and I'll just stay stay, stay out of the holster that's sick of it all. is my favorite hardcore band. I fucking love that band. So, um, New record of theirs for me to learn to love, I guess. Totally. And with that, we are at the end of part one. Um, this is obviously a really important year and it's becoming apparent to us how important it is the more we talk about it. So we want to give everything proper room to breathe. We don't want to be overly brief with anything. Um, So we're going to be back in two weeks with part two. There's obviously really obvious stuff we haven't covered and we're going to cover it. So don't you worry. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, There's obviously going to be a link to the companion playlist in the description of the episode. Um, Keep listening to hardcore, listen to all this wonderful media (laughs) being made about, hardcore right now and uh keep creating your own culture and we'll we'll see you next time thank you so much y'all